was the world's strangest accident. While testing a new rocket ship, our heroes were bombarded by mysterious cosmic rays from outer space. Though they crash-landed safely, the strange and powerful rays had changed each one of them, transforming their leader, Reed Richards, into the plastic-skinned Mr. Fantastic. Sue Richards into the Now You See Her, Now You Don't, Invisible Girl, and Ben Grimm into a mighty-muscled powerhouse called The Thing. Now, together with Herbie the Robot, the newest member of the group, they have become the greatest team of superheroes the world has ever known. The new Fantastic Four. Hello, divers. Welcome to... Mysteries of the Deep. I'm Tom Feeney, podcaster and purveyor of pop culture propaganda. Searching beneath the surface of what seems to be the ordinary, the mundane, the pedestrian. When a group of talented, committed individuals come together to make a motion picture, the initial intent is ultimately to make something that audiences will get an opportunity to watch and, hopefully, enjoy. I mean, who would spend millions of dollars, hire a director, crew, and actors to make a film that was never actually meant to be seen. And then to finish the movie, edit it, add special effects, music, and all that, just to leave it on a shelf to collect dust. That's madness. But that's exactly what happened with the 1994 Roger Corman-produced film based on the first family of Marvel Comics, The Fantastic Four. For the record, Get it? Four? Hmm? Hmm? There have been several movies based on the perennially dysfunctional super team. There was 2005's Fantastic Four and its 2007 sequel, Rise of the Silver Surfer, starring Jessica Alba and a pre-Captain America, Chris Evans. Now, those films did fairly well at the box office, but had to be set aside once the Marvel Cinematic Universe began with Iron Man a year later. And lest we forget, as much as we might want to, the cinematic train wreck that was 2015's Fantastic Four with Miles Teller and Michael B. Jordan. The less said about that, the better. Going back to the MCU, another stab at a Fantastic Four movie is coming to theaters perhaps in 2025, depending on several factors, not the least of which is the ongoing writer's strike and concurrent strike by the Screen Actors Guild. Now, Marvel fans got a little taste of what this new iteration might look like in 2022's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The film featured a cameo by, spoiler alert, 
John Krasinski as a multiversal variant of the Fantastic Four's leader, the elastic Mr. Fantastic. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Fantastic Four, it's the comic book that ushered in the so-called Marvel Age of Comics way back in 1961. The Adventures of a Dysfunctional Family Who Just Happened to Have Superpowers was created by writer Stan Lee and artist Jack Kirby. It was a somewhat more grounded look at superheroes, where the heroes had interpersonal conflict, an extended cast of characters, and even the occasional death, which, you know, in comics means nothing really. The team consists of the aforementioned Mr. Fantastic, a.k.a. scientist Reed Richards, the world's smartest person. His wife Sue, who can become invisible and create force fields, Johnny Storm, the hot-headed human torch, and the gruff but lovable rocky-skinned Ben Grimm, known as The Thing. Since their debut, the foursome has appeared in, appropriately enough, four animated series and made appearances in numerous other Marvel animated shows. Year is 1994. Nelson Mandela becomes South Africa's first black president. Former football superstar O.J. Simpson is arrested for the murder of his ex-wife Nicole and her friend Ron Goldman. Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain tragically takes his own life, and Sony's PlayStation gaming console is released in Japan. In the comic book industry, things are in complete shambles. In the early 1990s, investors began looking at comic books as an investment in hopes of higher returns and future profits. This speculator boom was characterized by inflated prices, artificial scarcity, and a focus on collectability over storytelling. At the start of the 90s, business boomed as investors saw comic books as a haven during the recession an influx of speculators came in. People who really weren't reading comics, they were just buying them as investments. There were articles in the newspapers that comic books are a better investment than the stock market. Stores marked up comics that were only weeks old and sold them for several times their cover prices. Speculators hoped they'd one day be worth as much as the collector's items from the 1940s. And then the greed factor sort of set in with every publisher, where, you know, they started producing alternate covers, special editions. Sales went through the roof and into space. 
some books were selling like six million copies when there were only half a million readers. But these half a million readers were all, you know, buying two and three and four editions of this particular book. And because they were buying that many, the publishers were printing more and more and more copies. You had a lot of adults and a lot of little kids who thought they were going to either get rich or put themselves through college on these books. The only reason the old comics were going for a lot of money is they were rare. Nobody pays a lot of money for something that's all over the place. They were a glut on the market. When the fans started to try to sell the books they were saving and found they couldn't sell them, they stopped buying multiple copies. And suddenly the publishers were caught with these huge print runs. It ultimately resulted in a crash that had a significant impact on the comic book industry. Marvel was especially hit hard. The company had spent hundreds of millions of dollars acquiring a toy company and a trading card company, among other entities. But by 1994, the speculator crash drove Marvel to the brink of bankruptcy. So, you know, a hit movie based on Marvel's first family might do a lot to bolster the company's profile. But that was not meant to be. So let's rewind a little bit to the late 1980s. A German film producer, Ernd Eichinger, secured the film rights to the Fantastic Four with the intent to produce a big-budget adaptation, but faced a deadline to begin production to retain those rights. If no film was made within that time, the rights would revert back to Marvel. What to do, what to do? Eichinger didn't want to lose the rights, so he opted to make a low-budget version of the film in order to keep those rights. He partnered with legendary low-budget movie maker Roger Corman, The budget for the Fantastic Four was extremely tight, reportedly around one million dollars, which is significantly lower than most superhero films even at that time. The film was directed by Ole Sassone, best known for classic films such as Blood Fist 3, Forced to Fight, Final Embrace, and... Relentless 4, Ashes to Ashes. Mm. Now, the cast consisted of relatively unknown actors, including Alex Hyde-White as Mr. Fantastic, Jay Underwood as the Human Torch, Rebecca Staub as the Invisible Woman, and Michael Bailey Smith as The Thing. Principal photography began in 1992 and took only three weeks to complete a true mark of quality. Now, because of the tight schedule, most scenes were shot with only one take. And the bargain basement budget meant that special effects and costumes were, putting it kindly, crude compared to today's CGI-heavy superhero films. One highlight, however, was The Thing's costume, created by special effects house Optic Nerve. Fairly comics accurate, 
It features a pretty sophisticated headpiece with animatronics that simulated the thing's facial movements. Now, after filming was complete, the movie entered a rather bumpy post-production phase. In fact, it abruptly came to an unexpected standstill, much to the bewilderment of director Oli Sasson. Soon after, Roger Corman's production company suddenly went silent and began withholding funds, forcing post-production, particularly the visual effects, to be conducted covertly. Sasson and his editing team were discreetly provided with project elements labeled under different movie titles, allowing them to quietly complete the film under the radar. Notably, the film's composers invested $6,000 of their own money to hire a 48-piece orchestra for the soundtrack. To further add to the clandestine nature of the project, Sasson swiftly filmed a few additional scenes on the fly, including shots of the thing navigating city streets without the necessary permits or even proper lighting. Now, the film was ultimately completed and scheduled for a world premiere at the Mall of America in Minnesota, which was canceled at the last minute no explanation given. There was even an official movie trailer that was released to tout the film itself coming to theaters. From the pages of the world's greatest comic book adventure, four heroes on a daring mission in space, but something went wrong. Genetically transformed, they become the most powerful superheroes of all time. But the forces of evil are out to destroy their cosmic power. To survive, they must utilize all their strength. To put an end to their arch nemesis. Doom? It's clobbering time. Fantastic Four. Sadly, the film was never released in any official form. Why? Well, the reason most given is that the Fantastic Four movie was made only to secure the rights to the characters and not to have ever been released at all. However, according to The Hollywood Reporter, 
there's another story about why the movie was never released. Then-Marvel Entertainment executive Avi Arad bought the rights to the film, and when he saw the low-budget quality of the final product, he decided not to release it and instead paid producer Roger Corman another cool million for all copies and elements of the movie, and then destroyed them. Except for the copy that the director kept for himself. And that copy led to more copies, which led to bootlegs of the Fantastic Four being circulated throughout the entertainment industry, which filtered down over the years to bootleg VHS and DVD copies to the present day where it's now on YouTube for free. German producer Bern Eichinger eventually secured the rights to a big-budget Fantastic Four film, which is the one that was released in 2005. The documentary Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four, made in 2015, shed light on the film's production and the legal battles surrounding it. I've had a lot of strange experiences after all these years in the film business, but I have to say the Fantastic Four ranks somewhere near the top. It's clobbering time. Like a phantom in this film. Strange. It was like a feeling that I've never experienced before. It's a piece of history. I never would have thought then, was it 20 years later, that I'd be sitting here talking about it. This thing just won't die. Expect trouble. I didn't know then, you know, all of the machinery that had been at work. It was the seedy, dark side of Hollywood. We really wanted people to see this. How many movies did Roger Corman make and never release? One. Wait a minute. Why, we're gonna let them take this movie away from us and not get anything out of it? We gotta show people that we made a movie. That's how you get another job. All this effort and time and all these, all the work that went into making that film and that pointless, meaningless. This film was never really intended to be a film. And I said, oh yeah, you watch. I think this documentary is, is I think it's about time. Hopefully, we might be like the last piece of this whole puzzle. The great untold, never seen version, the original Fantastic Four. Finally, after 20 years, this story is going to be told. Unfortunately, this version of the Fantastic Four really was doomed. <laughs> That documentary, which is highly recommended, is also found on YouTube, which actually makes for a great double feature with the movie itself. Now, despite its obscurity, it has gained a dedicated following among fans of cult cinema and superhero lore. And while it isn't uh, great, it does have kind of a, hey, let's put on a show energy, and feels more like an ambitious fan film than something made by, you know, 
professionals. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes, available on almost all podcast providers, and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And if you like what you hear, write a review. We'd love to know what you think. Or drop us a line at thedeepdivepodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those and our awesome t-shirt store in the bio of our Instagram page, and also check out our website at thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Mysteries of the Deep is a part of the Deep Dive Podcast family and a production of Automaton Studios. <laughs>